Take your Bibles. This morning, turn to wherever you like. We're going to see how this works. <laughs> oh, gosh. Turn to Genesis chapter 28. I am going to be talking a little bit about something that we've been talking about on Wednesday nights. And I just I felt such a strength on it uh, a few weeks ago. I felt like we needed to, uh, to bring it in here. Because um, God has created us to broker heaven. And I know we talk about this an awful lot, but we can't lose sight of this. This is what we're designed for, what we're created for, is to be a people who broker heaven into this earth. Anybody say amen to that? How does it look? Well, it's a number of different ways it can look. But the main thing is that we as people, we have a connection with a superior reality. Everybody knows that this world that we live in, it is, real. it, it is a reality, correct? Yeah. yeah. There's, there's some people that want to say this isn't real. Nothing about what we're doing here is real. No, it's very, very real. It's very real. When you get that bill in the mail from Duke Energy, it's very real, right? When you get the one from Bright House, it's very real. So you can't just ignore things and say, I'm just going to live up here. This is reality, but there is a superior reality that we live in. When sickness invades your body or someone close to you, you don't deny it. You look at it and go, yeah, that's sickness. But you also look at the superior reality and say, that doesn't live in heaven. Those things don't live up there. So we have to broker those things into earth here. Well, how do we do it? Well, there's nothing you can do to really work yourself up to that. It really just comes down to, do I really believe it or not? Do I really believe that there is no sickness in heaven, that there's no disease in heaven, that there is fullness in relationships in heaven, healthy relationships in heaven? Do we believe that? And if we don't have it, see those things here on the earth, then it's time to start brokering that into the earth, into, into this planet here. And we have every one of us who's a believer in Jesus Christ. Anybody in here a believer in Jesus Christ? Yes? You believe he's the Christ, the son of the living God, right? Born of a virgin Mary, right? Took all the sin, sickness of the world, died, right? He didn't die for us. You know that. He died as us. He didn't die for us. He died as us. It's a big difference because if we don't understand it, we're going to keep Jesus and us in a separate camp, and you can't do that. He died as us, brought us into himself. The Bible talks so much about being a dwelling place of God. The more I see how he thinks, the more it opens up my opportunity to experience him differently. And we need to experience him differently. Because if we keep experiencing him the same way over and over again, you know what we end up with? Religion. We end up with expectations of God doing something based on what we saw him do before. Now we honor those things according to what Proverbs says. It says, don't remove the ancient landmarks of your father's. It says, don't remove the ancient landmarks of your fathers. That's a good thing. Don't take them up. The, the, the pillars that have been set, the, uh, the altars that have been set, we honor those things. But at the same time, you don't let those things determine your boundaries. Don't remove the ancient landmarks of your fathers, but don't let them determine your boundaries. Any good, healthy father will say, I want you to have more than what I had, right? So we honor those landmarks, but at the same time, we don't let them determine our boundaries. We're consistently should be, as a people of God, pressing the envelope on what our expectations for God to do really is. Amen? Some of you are with me, some of you aren't. Okay. If we don't, if our minds aren't set on that expectation to experience him and consistently experience him differently, we're going to restrict what we are capable of, capable of doing simply by our thought life. You guys know our thought life is so critically important. 
I have seen, I don't know what the statistics really are, but I like the one that I've seen or heard. It says that so much of life is 10% about what happens and 90% of what we do with it. 10% of what happens and 90% of what we do with it. It's the choices we make based on what comes into our life. Is this making sense? So much of our experience of heaven is not what really happens. It's what we do with what we get. It's what we do. 90% of it is what we do with what we get, what we receive from the Lord, the revelation that we get, the, uh, the experiences that we have in him. They happen, and then 90% of our future or what could happen is based on what we're going to do with it. Our thought life is so critically important. It's the primary target of the spirit of God in how we think. Romans 8 says that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God. Come on, that's pretty strong language, isn't it? But the mind set on the flesh does not necessarily mean flesh like sin. It's just anything that's on this planet that has to do with flesh. Anything that will burn, anything that is not going to stand the test of time is flesh. Hello? So our minds that are set on those things, they're at enmity, they're at war with God. There is no middle ground with this. We're, we're either at war with God or we have, faith, we have faith with him and in him. We either have faith with him or we're at war with God. If we entertain thoughts in our minds that God does not entertain, we're entertaining a lie. Pretty simple. If we entertain thoughts in our minds that God does not have in his mind, we're entertaining a lie. Are you guys with me? I'm not sure you're tracking with me. This is so critically important. We try to make our spirituality about so many different things other than this one main thing. It's the renewed mind where we're hearing from God, being obedient to what he's saying, and experiencing more and more revelation in him by what we're putting into practice. Our growth in him, our maturity in him is not about stacking on more knowledge. We are so bad about doing that in our Western church. We go from meeting to meeting to meeting to conference to conference to conference, and it's like, it blows me away. I'm like, I am, anybody in here like conferences? You like to go to them? It's okay if you do. It really is okay. Here's, I always have this thing in my mind, and it's been this way since I was a kid. How is it that we as the body of Christ can have conference after conference after conference, and I look at the people who go to them, and they don't look any different? What are we doing? We're loading our heads with a bunch of knowledge and our hearts are not getting transformed because out of the transformed heart, the life will be lived. And I can learn a bunch of stuff and hold it up here. I did that. I've grown up in the church. You guys know my story. Born on Saturday, in church on Sunday, never knew the difference. I was Christian school, memorized chapters of scripture for five years of being in a Christian school, the last five years of my lower education, five years, we had to memorize a chapter every week. That's a lot of, that's a lot of Bible. Yeah. It is. That is a lot. I don't, somebody do the math on that. I don't even know what that is. A chapter every week. It wasn't just a verse. It was a chapter. So I had a bunch of this stuff right here. But my life looked no different than anybody else. As a matter of fact, it looked worse. It doesn't say your word I have hidden in my head that I might not sin against you. It says your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Why? All of life springs from that. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart for from it spring the issues of life. All the issues that are happening in our life right now, they're heart issues. Every single one of them. Every relational issue, financial issue, you name it. You fill in the blank. Everything that issues that has an issue in your life, it's coming from the heart. 
Every one of them. Jesus, when he shows up on the scene, he meets a bunch of religious people, right, who are filled with doing the right thing. And what does he say to them? You whitewashed tombs. You're full of dead man's bones. You brood of vipers. Don't you know it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's, de- there's something deeper there than just the mouth speaking. Our behavior comes out of our heart. Because it's in the heart that we believe. I know these things I've said before, but I think this bears repeating. Romans 10, 9, and 10. In the, with the heart, one believes under righteousness. doesn't say the head. It says, with the heart, one believes under the right. Why? Because that's where everything exists. The mind, the will, and the emotions exist in our soul. Our heart, right? It's, you know, I don't know how you define where the soul is in the human body. I guess, you know, you could cut my arms off and I still would have my soul. Cut my legs and my arms off, I'd still have my soul. I guess at some point you keep cutting, you'll get to it. But I don't know, I don't know where it is exactly, but it, it's really the basis of how we live, our soul. How we live out of that is where our soul is. That's why I don't like religion because religion resides primarily in the brain and it makes us very sterile, boring people right? You ever been to a church before? Hopefully it's not here. You ever been to a church before where it's just like, God, man, they're talking about resurrection life. I don't see that. (laughs) It's all about the Christ, the risen, right? And yet it's like, uh, and there's just no, I, we should be the most life giving people on this planet because we've been brought into life himself. The Anastasis and the Zoe. Jesus says, this audacious claim, I'm the resurrection and the life. All of that comes out of, in our life should be lived to such a degree, not because we're striving, but because we're resting. And we rest in this reality. I don't know why I'm talking about this. This is not even in my notes, but hopefully this is helpful. We should be the most high impacting, impactful people on the planet, should be Christians. What we mostly have is as far as Christians go, we have a bunch of low-impact, high-maintenance people. It's true. Oh, I just need to go to one more meeting. I just need to go. I just need that person to lay their hands on me. Yes, it's right. Get impartation. Get laid hands. But somebody, at some point, stand up and deliver. High-maintenance, low-impact. I don't want to live like that. I want to be low-maintenance, high-impact. Very, very low-maintenance people. But low-maintenance people are defined by how healthy the heart is with what's going on in the heart. Because people who are really healthy in their heart, they're not bouncing around looking for one thing. You know what I'm talking about, right? I probably see this as a pastor more than anybody else. People come into a church and they love it. And then all of a sudden they don't love it anymore. And they leave and they go to another one. And they love that one. And they don't like that one anymore. And they leave that one and go to another one. That has nothing to do with the church. It has everything to do with what's going on inside of here. There's a health issue going on, a heart issue inside. So... All of this has to do with what does it look like for us to be like that? It starts right here in the mind. Joyce Meyer, you guys familiar with her, wrote a fantastic book called The Battlefield of the Mind. Has anybody ever read that? Stellar piece of work. There have been other things that have written since then that, do, that have done a great job. But I, I believe this to my core, that the issues of life come out of what goes on in here. And you guys know what I'm talking about. It's the things that you think about when nobody's around when you're by yourself. I'm not talking about sin thoughts, guys. I'm talking about the circular type of thinking that happens in your mind where you think, 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 and you come back to the same place you started from and nothing's changed. It's circular. It's scary. 
What we need is an experience, an encounter with him that marks us in our mind so strong that we say from this point on, I cannot look at life the same way ever again. The simple way this happens. Anybody in here ever seen somebody healed? Yes? Come on, hold your hand up. You've seen somebody miraculously healed. Okay, when you see somebody miraculously healed, that you are positioned perfectly to have your mind renewed. If you hold on to that, say, and say, from this point on, it is illegal for me to go back to thinking about healing any other way. That's what the renewed mind does. Then the renewed mind holds on to it, and it says, the next time I run into that, it's going to have to bow the knee, because in heaven, that stuff doesn't exist. Here's how we get in trouble. Everybody would agree that Jesus has all authority, right? Right? Jesus has all authority. Satan doesn't have any, right? He's been defeated, demoralized, made a public spectacle of, according to Colossians, a public spectacle through the work of the cross that totally just disarmed him, so he has no authority. The only authority Satan has is what we give him, right? Well, how do we give Satan authority? Does anybody in the room walk around going, Satan, where are you? I want to give you something. (laughs) Nobody does that, do they? Nobody's looking for Satan so they can go, oh, let let me take my authority and give it to you for a while. It doesn't work like that. Here's how it works. Satan is constantly in your face talking to you. He's constantly like this. He's just staring you down and he's talking to you and he's saying, hey, you know what? You need to do, I need to do this. Because he doesn't come even in third person. He comes in, or third person, he comes in first person. I need to do this. I should think this. I should go over there. I should not do this. You hear what I'm saying? Thank you. He's like glowing red right now. He talks to you and talks to you and talks to you and talks to you until you finally agree with him. And the minute you agree with him, in the agreement, you say, here's the authority. Why? You believe the lie, you empower the liar. How many of you guys know that if, you, if somebody comes to you with a lie and you, know, you just know that it's absolutely not true at all, you know how that person is absolutely powerless in your life? It's the same, same way with the enemy. When he comes with a lie, he has no power until you believe the lie. As soon as you believe the lie, you're going, here's, here's, here's what we do. We, we take a little hall pass and we write Satan a hall pass and we say, here, go run around in my mind for a little bit. Just, just wreak havoc up there for a little bit because I'm going to agree with what you're saying right there. We do it all the time, don't we? You know how I know that we do it all the time? Because I'm 47 years old, been in this thing my whole life, church. You guys, anybody else been in church for a long time? Yep. Why is it that we're not looking more like the person of Jesus? Why is it? Think about this for a moment. When Satan fell, a third of the angelic realm fell with him, right? That's a finite number. Did you know angels can't reproduce? They're not creative beings. They're created beings, and they have no ability to reproduce. A third of, that's a finite number of people. Since the angels have fallen, humanity has grown exponentially. Have you guys ever think about stuff like this? So how is it that they're so effective in the world today when, pop, when the population of this earth has expanded so exponentially? Mind games. All Satan has to do is come up to you, put one little thought in your head, and you start going, yeah. And then he goes, see ya. 
and then you tailspin. What we perceive in this world to be life, we have to be very, very careful with because if all we do is just perceive life to be this one way and take sickness, disease, um, you, you name it. I mean, just addictions, bondage, uh, you, you name it, just fill in the blank. Whatever. If we take that as normal, then that's what we believe, and so we have, then we have no authority because we've given that authority to someone else. Jesus has all authority, not Satan. Last time I checked, Satan comes to do what? Is there anything good in that? Think for a minute. Kill? No. Steal? No. Destroy? No. On the other hand, Jesus says, I've come that you might have and have it more abundantly. Right, okay. So how does this work for us? Well, there's a story that we find in Genesis chapter 28. And I had you turn there, right? If you wanted to, or you can turn wherever you want. Genesis chapter 28. There's a story in here of Jacob. Beginning in verse 10. Now, I'm going to read this down and we're going to talk about it. Verse 10 in chapter 28 of Genesis. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Doesn't sound too comfortable, but okay. Verse 12. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on earth, set up on earth, get this picture, and its top reached to the heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land, for I I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Come on, that's a good word in and of itself. You know, you get things like this in Scripture. You're getting a revelation of the character of God. And this is where, again, we have the opportunity to have our minds renewed. When he says things like, "I, I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. That reveals the character of God. That he's going to do what he says. He's faithful and he's true. He's true to his word. Verse 16, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, highlight this in your Bible, underline it, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. How many of us as believers are living like that? Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Now we can come into a group like this and experience the Lord together, right? But you know what? He's in the bathroom when you're in there. He's in the shower. He's in your car when you're going to work. He's in the aisle right next to you when you're walking through Publix. This high-maintenance, low-impact Christianity goes around looking for the experience of a lifetime instead of recognizing that we've been brought into a lifetime of experience. It's true. That's why we go to meetings all the time. I'm going to go experience God in that meeting. Really? You can experience him in Publix. You can. I challenge you. Try it sometime. People might think you're weird, but they probably think you're weird anyway. They just don't say it. Get into Publix. You push in your little cart. Just stop for a minute and hold your hands out and go, Jesus. You think, you think I'm teasing. I'm not. Jesus. 
Do it right now. Just say, Jesus. You feel that? I feel, I feel everything inside of me begin to shift when I do that. Jesus. Why? Because we've been brought into a lifetime. Doesn't that feel good? We've been brought into a lifetime of experience. Let's stop being high-maintenance, low-impact Christians who are looking for the experience of a lifetime. Recognize we've been brought into a lifetime of experience, and everywhere I go, I can shift cultures. I can change things. Everywhere I go. Here's what Jacob says. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Now, here's what's interesting about this. When we hear this is the house of God, immediately what do you think of? Church, right? Now, some of us might go all the way to I'm the house of God. That's good. That's absolutely appropriate. And we're going to get to that in a second. But right here, there is no grid for house of God. There's no temple. There's been nothing built. There's nothing. It's just Abraham saying yes to God, messing a few things up, coming out with Isaac, who ultimately comes out with Jacob. So we're only two generations away from God showing up on the scene and making a promise. So this is not that far down the line. But he says in this, this is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Now that's weird language. It's not to us because we've read it and heard it before. But to him, he's coining a phrase there. This is the house of God. There's no grid for it. There's no context for house of God. So what is he talking about? The house of God has no physical structure at that point, right? There's no physical structure for a house of God. It's not like a church building or even the temple if you go way back. It has nothing there. It's a prophetic picture of the New Testament church is what it is. He has an encounter with God and he sees angels ascending and descending on this ladder and he says, this is the house of God. That's why he named it Bethel. That's what that means, house of God. It's a place where heaven meets earth. He calls it the gate of heaven. Gates are what? They're transition places, right? Does anybody have a gate in their yard? No? You do. We've got gates. We have gates that go around our pool. And they're transition places. You're on one side, you're outside the pool. On this side, you're inside the pool. So that little thing marks a transition point, right? Doors, if you would. It's kind of the same thing. I think it's interesting. Jesus even refers to himself as the door. He's a transition point. They're transition points from one place to another. So here he is saying, this is the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. This is a transition point where heaven meets earth. The house of God is built on the edge of two worlds, and the house is actually a gate or transition place. This is interesting because you ever heard of the law of first mention in Scripture? Whenever you hear of that, whenever something is first mentioned in Scripture, it's critically important that you understand what he's talking about and make a note because everything's going to be built off of that. It goes all the way back to uh, even Adam and Eve. Go back to that. When God creates Adam and he breathes life into him, right? You guys know the story. It wasn't just bios life that entered into him. It was zoe life. It was God's life. You you know, there's two different kinds. Do you remember in John chapter 20, verse 21, when it's the night of the resurrection, Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And what does he do? He breathes on him right there. Why? Because everything had been taken care of. That was a transition point where God had shown what he was doing with Adam, 
Remember, first mentions, critically important. He transitions that down to John 20, where it's the night of the resurrection. He breathes on him, and he says, yeah, because of the work that I've just done, Zoe life comes back into you. Zoe, come on, that's good news. Zoe life comes back into you at that point, right there. And guess what? Did anybody in here have God breathe on you? Well, you have, but I mean, literally, did God come and breathe on you? Well, he didn't in the sense of he didn't breathe on you. He did it into Adam and then breathed life into everybody, right? Of course, there was the fall. There was the distraction where they were still bios alive, but not Zoe alive anymore. You get down to the cross, transition point again, and he says, yeah, you're still bios alive, but you're not Zoe alive. I breathe on you, and now your spirit man is alive. Come on, this should help us. This should really help us. Why? Because we, as Christians, we live a lot with a, uh, an exclusive Christianity instead of an inclusive Christianity. We look at people in the world and say they're lost and they're not alive when actually they are alive. They are alive. Spiritually alive. When he breathed on us, and when he breathed on the disciples, he brought life. Are you guys still with me? He brought life into humanity. It wouldn't make sense for God to say, I'm only going to breathe life on those who believe in me. Because it says in John 16 that he sent his spirit into the world to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And if they're spiritually dead, how do they hear the spirit? They can't. How do I know lost or unbelievers are spiritually alive? Because there's a counterfeit spirit. You guys still with me? And it's real easy to succumb to that. Because remember, he gets in your face and he talks all the time. And he gets people to agree with him. But they have the same ability to hear Holy Spirit. And that's what he does. He comes. Okay. So this is what happens. He breathes. or uh, We see this right here. House of God. Then we get into John chapter 1. I'm not going to make you turn there for the sake of time. But John chapter 1 is where he's unpacking Jesus showing up on the scene. And it says, he came and tabernacled and dwelt among us. We're familiar with the scripture, right? That word, he dwelt, literally is tabernacled, which is what? House. It's a house, right? Tabernacle was the house of God. You look at the tabernacle of Moses, right? Where did God live? Inside there, right? Holiest of holies, Ark of the Covenant, mercy seat, all that stuff. He lived right there. David comes on the scene. He has his tabernacle. Ultimately, through Solomon, we have the temple built. The Ark ends up back in the temple there. Where was the presence of God? On the mercy seat, right? That was the house of God. But it says of Jesus, when he shows up on the scene, he tabernacled or he housed among us. By the end of John chapter 1, we see Jesus having a conversation with Nathaniel. Again, I'm not going to make you turn there, but he's... Nathaniel is one of the dudes that hears about Jesus through his brother, Philip. And Philip says, dude, come check this Jesus out. He's awesome. Now, Nathaniel is a Jew, and he's like worshiping God, and he's like, I'm really all about looking for the Messiah. So Nathaniel shows up on the scene, and Jesus is having this conversation with him. And he says to Nathaniel there... Ah, you're one of those that in whom there is no deceit. That's wonderful. That's great. And he says to Nathaniel, you will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Why? Because the, the Jacob's ladder that he saw was a prophetic picture that was ultimately leading to the person of Jesus. Now Jesus says, I'm on the scene. Now I'm a transition point. I'm a transition point, and you're going to see angels ascending and descending on me. I think what's really interesting is you get two chapters later into John chapter 3, and here he is having Jesus having the conversation with Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus, another Pharisee, comes to him, comes to him at night because he's scared. 
the first Nick at night. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw that in there. Sorry, I won't do that one again, all right? I'll just put that one away. I'll tuck that one away. He comes to him at night, and he starts to ask him questions. I just know that you must be someone because you, nobody could do these works that you were doing. And he says to him, yeah, well, unless you're born again. He goes, well, what are you talking about born again? You can't, what do you mean born again? And he says to Nicodemus, he says, no one has ascended except he who has first descended. That is the son of man who is in heaven. Now, that's weird language, right? He's talking to him. And he's going, no one has first ascended except for he who has descended, which is the son of man who is in heaven. What are you talking about? You're standing right there in front of me. He's saying just two chapters later from Nathaniel, he's saying, Nathaniel, you're going to see angels ascending and descending. Now I'm going to talk to Nicodemus and he's saying, listen, this is what happens. I go to heaven all the time. I'm constantly in heaven and I'm constantly on earth. Why? I'm a gate. I'm a transition point. This is what I do. And the words that I'm speaking to you, you don't understand those things because I'm talking from a heavenly perspective. And when I say you need to be born again, you're talking about going into your mother's womb and being born again. You don't get it. This is what we do a lot as believers. We even take the word of God, try to relate to it on this plane instead of looking at it from this plane. There are such deep mysteries inside of this stuff. Now, I want to comprehend them. I want to know them, right? I want them to be into my intellect, but I can't primarily get the word of God from my intellect here. It's got to start here and then move up into my intellect. Because the things of the spirit are spiritually discerned, 1 Corinthians says. The things of the natural, the natural man, he can't receive them because they're foolishness to him. So they have to come into the heart first and then move up into my intellect. But I also have to hold on to this fact that there's a lot of things that I comprehend by this experience of God coming in here and then it moving into my intellect. But there's a lot of things that I don't comprehend. And I have to be okay with that. I'm not interested in trying to comprehend everything that's in the Bible. I'm, tr I'm interested in trying to apprehend everything that's in the Bible. Because I can hold on to it and not necessarily be able to explain it. How do you explain to someone your salvation experience? How do you explain to them if you got healed? How do you do that? Can you do it? It's difficult. You can use your words, but somebody could hear your words and go, I don't know what you're talking about. That doesn't make sense to me. How did you get healed? How did you get healed, Carl? You explain it to somebody, and they go, how does that work? And you're like, I don't know. It just worked. You guys remember in John chapter 9, Jesus heals the blind man. The Pharisees are all freaked out. Who did that? Well, Jesus did. What did he do? He just said, be healed. They keep questioning him, trying him. They can't get anything out of him. They go to his parents. His parents are like, I'm not messing with you. You want to ask him something, you go talk to him. He's of age. He's old enough. He's an older man. You talk to him. So they come back to him again. And he's like, I don't know what to tell you. Do you guys want to be his disciple too? All I know is I was blind and now I see. Oh, it makes sense, doesn't it? They're trying, how did this happen? Who said that? Who did? They're, they're stuck on this plane trying to figure things out when the reality is heaven broke through because he's a gate, angels ascending and descending on him, and he's just speaking what the Father is saying to him, and it creates a whole new reality right there. That's how it functions. John chapter 13, he says that, no one, or John chapter 3, no one's ascended except who is descended. Now, let me take this a little bit fast forward. Acts chapter 2. Here we have something happening again. And by the way, that's not just why we call this church Acts chapter 2. There's, there's something about, there's something in it, but it's like I'm not hearkening back to a time. That's not why this church is Acts chapter 2. I'm not hearkening back to a time. 
Um, it's something that centers us on the value of people coming in together in obedience to Jesus because he said, wait till you don't leave till you get Holy Spirit. And then when you get Holy Spirit, don't wait anymore. You go. Holy Spirit comes. You got power of God showing up, people getting saved, people living in community together. That's what it really looks like. That's why it's Acts chapter 2. So don't, that's why we call this this. It's not because we're hearkening back to something else. Acts chapter 2, what happens? Heaven invades once again. The Spirit comes, and it says that there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind, right? A sound of a mighty rushing wind and what? Tongues of fire. So we got two things happening here. This sound, wind. Didn't say that there was wind. It says there was the sound of wind. And then fire comes and lands on people's heads. Why is this important? Hebrews chapter 1 and Psalm 104 talks about this. When it comes to angels, it says that they are wind and they are fire. Now, what was the giving of the Holy Spirit onto the church? It was the empowerment, right? So it moved from Jesus ascending and descending, angels descending and sending and descending on him. He's moving all the time to now all of a sudden the, the believers come together. Spirit comes, lands on them. What happens? Now you've got angels that's sending and descending on them. Why? Because that's what it says. Psalm 1. Angels, they're wind and they're fire. Jesus has this interesting thing, this interesting way of doing life. He comes on the scene and he shows us this is what it looks like. This is what heaven looks like. This is what heaven looks like. This is what heaven looks like. Now, tag, you're it. You do it. That's what he does. The renewed mind allows us to grab hold of this perspective and live from heaven towards the earth. The unrenewed mind has you living on earth, begging him to invade. Wow. It's true. The unrenewed mind will always take what should be a declaration and reduce it down to a petition. It always will. What should be a declaration, the renewed mind, what should be a declaration, the unrenewed mind sees it and turns it into a petition. God, would you please come again? God, would you please heal? Do you ever see anywhere in Scripture where we're supposed to pray for somebody and say, God, would you please heal? Why? Because he already gave us a direct command. It says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, make disciples. So our words are important. That's why I even encourage people when we're praying, and we're praying for healing. You probably, if you've been around me long, I, you hear me do this a lot. When we get to a point where we're praying for healing, I just tell people, declare it. Say, be healed. Don't slip into the, oh God, you know, would you, would you please, would you? That is a, a lack of identity, a lack of the unrenewed mind. It's just taking place and it's steering us into place. We find ourselves with an unrenewed mind asking God to do things that he's already done. We do. We ask him to do things that he's already done because our mind hasn't been renewed. The renewed mind, it puts us in a co-laboring partnership with God to see his purposes accomplished on the earth. When we gather in here on Sunday mornings, you know, you'll hear me say at worship, it's not the precursor to what we do, it's the main event. Because I'm looking for it. If he, Psalm says he's truly enthroned on the praises of his people, then I'm looking for something to happen. I want to know, God, what are you doing? I'm listening, I'm paying attention. And when we come together, it's more than just hanging out and singing happy songs. We are a gateway people. Do you know that? You're a gateway you're a gate now that has the ability to be able to open up and let heaven pour right through you into this earth right here. It's part of what we're doing with the school, with the OSSM. You know, I sit in on a few of those classes, and I'm like, man, this is rich. 
This is alive. I, see, I feel a presence inside of that that I don't even feel in here on Sunday mornings. It's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there's something very alive in what's happening with these students on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. It's very rich. It's very, very powerful. It's kind of like the, the line between heaven and earth is so thin anyway. But it's kind of like it becomes so transparent in here on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. It becomes so like, oh, man, you, you, I don't even have to mention to you what's going on right now because you see it just like I see it. You, see what I'm talking about? It's like when you've been on the same page, it's so clear. It's like, yeah, we know what's happening in the room right now, and we don't even have to talk about it. We do, but it's, there's that sense there of nobody needs to convince anybody of any, something happening. It's just happening, and everybody sees it. When we pray on earth as it is in heaven... When we pray that, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we start to recognize that we're not sitting here begging God to come down, that we're sitting with him, heavenly places, on earth as it is in heaven. Because I'm so connected there. My mind is so renewed. That's the only reality that I'm seeing. And our words are so important. And what we broker into this earth, I'm going to end with this right here. Our words are so critically important with what we broker into this earth. So when somebody's sick, or something's wrong, the first words out of our mouth shouldn't be, well, that's too bad. Man, well, I know, those things happen. Right? It's important. It's important we grab these things. Don't say things like, well, those things happen. Well, that's life, man. We shouldn't do that. Why? Because we're brokering this planet into somebody. And words are so critically important because words create worlds. Jesus became flesh on this planet, took on form of a man, but when he spoke, his words became spirit. That's why he said, the words that I speak to are spirit and life. So when we speak, we're not just saying something that the intellect understands, we're bringing spirit right into it. The words that I speak, they're spirit and they're life. How else are we going to release that spirit realm? When we say what God is saying because of our awareness, we're, we're connected to it. When we say what God is saying... We change people's options. If we just simply say, well, that's too bad. That's part of living in this life. We haven't given them another option. But when we speak from heaven and the spirit comes alive, we change their options. And then they have the ability to choose. We're presenting a person, not an idea. It's not just an idea. It's the entire person that's coming. When, when words become spirit, it makes a decree that comes in and it starts to change the atmosphere around us. Everybody stand up with me here. I want to become a dwelling place of God like that, right? Well, I am, but does it manifest? Because I can sit there. It's like Eric Gilmore. He came in and spoke to us a couple of weeks ago. I thought it was so awesome. He starts off by saying, you can't get pregnant by holding hands. It's true. I can make declaration that I'm married all the time. But there's no intimacy in me just saying that I'm married, Right? I can say I'm the righteousness of Christ, and it's good, and we should say that. I'm, you know me. I'm all about that. We should say I'm a saint, not a sinner, right? Yes. And how many saints in here? Everybody, everybody, hands should go up in here, because I already asked you before if you're a believer, so you're a saint. I can say that all I want, but really, it doesn't mean anything if it's just up here in my intellect. Until it moves down into the heart, we will continue to walk around like Jacob and saying, surely God was in this place, and I didn't know it. So we walk around life going, God's not there. God's not there. When actually he is, he's there all the time. So let's just pray right now that, Father, you would awaken us 
to a degree that we would see where you are, what you're doing, why you're doing it. Lord, even show us purposes behind it so that every person that we see when we walk through a grocery store or a gas station or a bank or down the street or into our workplace or into our home looks different because we're seeing them from your perspective, not from ours. Lord, we give you the, the permission to challenge the way we think. And Lord, we say even in our spirit, begin to stir us. Stir us into things that show us where we're thinking wrongly, where our minds are not renewed to the degree that we see what heaven is doing. Because we recognize, Lord, you have shown us through scripture that we're gates, we're the house of God. Peter tells us about that. You're being, your living stones being built together into the house of God. Lord, I just say even the awareness of the angelic realm to be heightened, to be heightened. Lord, I want to know what that angel is. I want to know his name, that one that follows me around. I want to know his name. I know I've seen him. He's blue. But I want to know his name. I want to know what he's doing. I want to know what his assignments are, Lord. Because, Lord, I can hold you to this. Because even when you covenanted with Abraham, later on you went back to him and said, Talked amongst yourself as the Godhead, and you said, we can't keep this secret from Abraham. We need to tell him what's going on. So, Lord, tell us what's going on. And we choose to take it, Lord, not as something where we just play with it, but we let it renew our minds, Lord God. We let it renew our minds so that we're not wired in such a way that we think like this world any longer. So we don't think any more like this world. We begin to think like heaven. So that that way we can say, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Say that with me. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now do it like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, come on. That feels good, doesn't it? Because that's where you live from. Stop trying to get into heaven. What happens to a believer when they die? What happens to a, it's not a trick question. What happens to a believer when they die? Did you know you're dead? That's what the Bible says. You're dead. So you are actually living in heaven. And now you're just simply saying, now on earth. Now on earth. Makes things a whole lot easier when you can see the bank account that has all the money in it to be able to go, go right there. I'm just going to transfer that to that point right there. Amen. It makes it so much easier when you know what real health looks like, when you know what real peace looks like, because you're, you see it. You're living in it. We talked about this on Wednesday, I think a couple of weeks ago. Jesus in the boat, storm, crazy going all around him, and he's asleep. He's sleeping. Everybody else is freaking out. He's sleeping. Why is he sleeping? Because in his world, there's no storm. Where he lives, there's no storm. So he just simply gets up and rebukes it. I think it's interesting that he rebukes it right there because, guys, listen, every storm, every whatever happens, meteorological thing that happens on earth, it's not God bringing judgment. Sometimes it's Satan. More times than not, it's really Satan doing stuff. Okay, that's another story. I won't get into that. Okay. But he can rebuke it, and you can rebuke it. You can stop it. Next time the hurricanes tries to come and hit the state of Florida, just start rebuking it. You can. Why? Because in heaven there's no hurricane. 
He gave us dominion over the planet, right? <laughs> okay, all right. All right, Lord, just change our thoughts, Lord God. We want to walk and we will choose to walk in an ongoing repentance where we change the way we think, Lord, an ongoing repentance, Lord, an ongoing repentance. So we want to be a, be, be a people that see this city transformed because they're seeing heaven and they can't help it. They're seeing heaven happen, pop up all around them. 